In episode 85 of MobyCast, we introduced AWS Fargate, which brings the serverless concept to running containers on ECS. We discussed the features and benefits of Fargate, as well as how it differs from normal EC2 launch types. Now it's time to dive deeper into some of the details you need to know to successfully run your containers on Fargate. In this episode of MobyCast, John and Chris continue their three-part series on serverless containers with an in-depth discussion of identity and access management for ECS. We learn about the various roles you will encounter, why they are needed, and how to use them. We also share a best practice that will make you look like a security pro. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. I have a little something to share with you. What's that? Remember how last week I was pretty skeptical that it was going to snow? Yes, indeed. Well, everybody here that's listening to MobyCast is obviously listening to it so that they can hear us banter about the weather. <laughs> but I just thought I'd let you know that it did snow. I was so skeptical. I think that's what it took. It, it took my 100% confidence that the forecast was false in order for it to actually be true. I was so sure. So, yeah, that, that just meant... Putting on the kids' snow pants, boots, hat, gloves, everything like that this morning. They're very young, so I have to do that for uh, them. Well, for one of them. I've got, I've got this image of, of uh, Christmas Story, the movie, um, where the mom right, right. Wraps, up, wraps up the kid, the youngest one, um, and he's like a swollen tick. By the time <laughs> yeah, she's done, yeah. he, can't even, he can't even put his arms down. So Yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty much true. I had a hard time forcing Jonah into the car seat today. Bend! I said, young one, get in that car seat. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so that was my fun story. Actually, let me plug a book while I'm at it, because it's a book by my friend Andrew Blum. Um, I went to college with him. He's a great guy. He lives in New York City. And he wrote a book recently called The Weather Machine. Um, and it really gets into the process, you know, the whole art of weather forecasting and how it works. And um, it's sort of a journey down that road. And it's written sort of with a popular voice. Um he wrote another book called Tubes about how the internet works that became pretty popular. I mean, he got to be on fresh air from it, so pretty popular. Um, same kind of deal with The Weather Machine, so everybody should read it. I am, haven't read it yet. I'm sorry, Andrew. Um, but I know you're not listening, so <laughs> he doesn't anyway, know. everybody should read that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's get into it today. Um, you want to start us off, Chris? Yeah, so you know, last week we talked about ECS. Revisited that topic. We hadn't talked about it since episode three of MobyCast, so almost 18 months ago. And in particular, we, we kind of mentioned that there's two launch types now for, for ECS. Um, so there's the, the original, the EC2 launch type, and that's what we really have has been the, the backbone of, of us using ECS. And that's where you're provisioning, managing, patching EC2 instances, clusters of machines to run your containers. Um, and the, those are defined and managed by launch configuration and auto scale group and all the good stuff that goes along with just managing EC2s and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So since that first episode, 
AWS has come out with Fargate, which is their serverless approach um, to ECS, where you don't have to manage a cluster of EC2 instances. And instead, all the underlying infrastructure is managed by Fargate. So completely serverless, um, you're just defining your, your task and your services, and you're kind of given the um, specifications for how much memory and CPU you need. And then it's up to AWS, essentially, right, to, to now find a place for that to, to run and execute it. Um, and then you are charged literally by the, by the second um, for just whatever use. You're only paying for the service when your tasks are running. So you don't have to worry about idle time. So we talked about how like some of the really good use cases there would be for batch jobs or cron jobs and these these on and off again type jobs where they they don't require a 24 by 7 operation. Those are really good candidates for for running on Fargate. Mm-hmm. We also talked about how I mean even though it is a little bit more expensive that at low levels just the lack of interaction that you have to have with an EC2 cluster could be worth it. You know the time you save on that in terms of both cost of your own time and opportunity cost of things you're not doing while you're working on that um, could be worth doing Fargate as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we we went through a quick kind of calculations with pricing and whatnot, and at the end of the day, it ends up being probably about fifty percent more um, to a, mm-hmm. to maybe even a hundred percent more to run on Fargate versus EC2. Mm-hmm. But you have to you you have to look at your scale, right? So yeah. if you're if you're talking about like Oh, I went from twenty dollars a month to forty dollars a month. You know, you can say, okay, that's 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 you're paying double, or you could say I'm paying twenty dollars a month, so I don't have to manage EC2 instances and figure yeah, out exactly. how to even how to do that, right? So you have to mm-hmm. you have to take take all that into account. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, if you're if you're at a smaller scale um, or just just don't want to deal with that and and the overhead associated with that would actually take you more time, then that's another very, very good reason to look at something like Fargate and just serverless in general. Right, right. Right, so so for t- so that was the, we, you know, last previous episode was really kind of more along the lines of like the the theory, if you will, and just how, how you know, what it is and how it works and the various benefits and, and, and specifics to it. So today I thought we would um, kind of get more practical um, and talk about, okay, you know, we're really well-versed with the EC2 launch type, and that's how our um, containers run in production now. What does it take to switch those over, to have them run in Fargate? Like, what changes do we have to make? Is it- yeah, sorry to interrupt, Chris. Um, I do want to move on and talk about exactly about those, those like, more tactical or, you know, topical things, but I realize that there's still sort of a lingering question that I have that started to come up towards the end of the episode last week, and I, I'm wondering if we can talk about it for just a minute before we continue. Sure. Um, so that, the question is basically, you know, this is a serverless service in the sense that you don't have to manage servers directly, but it, it seems to me that you do have to be pretty aware of sizing still. Um, so it's not like Lambda where you basically hand it a function and just say, go. You know, I'm, I, I might have a million users. You figure it out. With this one, you do, I, if, please correct me if I'm wrong, I think you do have to have some awareness of scale and do some planning around that. A- am I right? It depends on at what level you're looking at it, right? If you're looking at the kind mm-hmm. of like more like the atomic unit level, um, which is like, here's my task and I want this to run, Yeah. versus here's my system and here's my 
you know, the, the entire distributed system and how requests are coming in and how many of them are and like, what's the overall performance of the system. Right. And so that's, that's kind of a different, Mm -hmm. different view of it. So at the, and it's that other, it's that second one that I'm more interested in because that first one you also have to think about with Lambda, right? (laughs) With Lambda, you can tell it, oh yeah, use, you know, use a bunch of CPU units or use a bunch of memory or use very little. You, You have those little controls you can use. But it's the second one that you never have to worry about with Lambda. You're, you could have 10 users or you know, 10 clients, let's call them instead of users, um, or 10 million, um, and Lambda's got to figure that out on its own. Um, there's no control levers that you can give it to say, basically, this is what my traffic pattern looks like. And, or at least there didn't used to be. There <laughs> could be now. Amazon changes so quickly. But, but initially, it was not something that you were supposed to have to think about with Lambda. And I think with this, it is something that, uh, at least initially when Fargate came out, you did have to think about. Yeah, I mean, you know, so that, that's an interesting um, point to bring up. And, you know, really what it boils down to is like, what's driving the request coming through, right? And so Lambda is just like, oh, you want me to run this this task, right? And just just go this function and just go and run it, right? And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it doesn't have any concept of like what your overall system is, right? It's just saying, here's a unit of work, right? Just go and do it. So something else is driving that, mm-hmm. right? And so typically it's something like API gateway, mm-hmm. um, maybe like if you're if you're trying to run, like maybe it's a microservice you've implemented using API, you know, API gateway. Mm-hmm. So now it's API gateways problem, right? Of how do they scale? Right to handle mm-hmm. all those incoming requests. So whether it's you know ten requests a second, or it's a thousand requests a second, or ten thousand requests a second, that's API gateways problem. Right. Lambda doesn't know or care either. Right. It just has like, oh, you want you have this function request invocation. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And they have to scale their um, workload to to address that kind of aggregate. Demands, you know, demands upon right. it. Right, AWS is responsible for scaling that up. Right. If it needs to make more machines do that function, it, that's its job to figure out. Right. So when it comes to Fargate, we kind of have. I mean, it doesn't really change with the EC2 launch type versus the Fargate launch type. Okay. Right, because like with with the EC2 launch type, we we have to define like what's our what are our resources, right? So we, we're defining a cluster, and we can say, you know, how many how many how many machines are in that cluster, and that's going to give us some amount of capacity, right? And then for our tasks that are running at the end of the day, you know, we're going to be specifying here's the CPU requirements and here's the memory requirements for these tasks, and then the scheduler is just going to go and schedule that work wherever there's available space on your instances. If there's no available space, then now you can't. You're not going to be able to run any more of your your request, right? You're going to be throttled. Okay. So then you have to tie in things like auto scale policies, right? You have to do the auto scaling your, yourself, right? You have to wire that stuff up to say, hey, I'm going to trigger now, creating, you know, changing my my cluster size. I'm I'm no longer want to be ten nodes. I now know I want to be twelve nodes or or whatever it may be, right? So so with EC2, you can totally set yourself up to thrash. You can basically set up auto scaling and set up your machines in such a way where demand is greater than supply, right? Like you're you're getting crushed and you don't have any way of, you know, everything that you've set up, your auto scaling is like, oh, nope, I'm maxed out. Everything's maxed out. And yet more and more people or clients are coming in asking for things than, than the cluster can handle. It's not going to go higher than what you've set it at, right? So that's that's true with easy too. Is that also like I'm getting a really specific here. Is that also true with Fargate? Or or mm-hmm. do you not have that control 
that lets you sort of shoot yourself in the foot and you know not make your system naturally auto scale to meet demand. Both EC2 and Fargate, they take into account auto scaling. Okay. Right. And so you can you can you can change that that pool of resources. So the EC2, when you're creating like a um, when you're creating an auto scale group for your EC2 cluster, you're saying you're specifying things like minimum, maximum, and desired instances, right? Mm-hmm. But that's that's static. You know, if you again you set your minimum is two, your maximum's five, and your desired is you know three or something like that, right? Um, right, and that's very concrete to me, right? That's like maximum five computers. Like those are five virtual machines that are going to be running in the cloud, and I know that that's it's never more than that. If I throw more traffic at it than f- those five computers can handle, well, that's on me. Right. Just realize that that that's not auto scaling though. Is not right. Auto scaling is that auto scaling is totally separate. Auto scaling is all about changing those parameters. Right, so you you have to you have to create auto scale policies that will tweak those for you. So you do stuff like, hey, if my CPU utilization average CPU utilization is above eighty percent, I want to trigger an auto scale action. That's going to now go in and change those parameters so that now instead of my max being five, my max is now six or seven. Oh, so that was my confusion because I thought that you could also set like caps on your auto scaling so that you don't end up waking up in the morning and finding out that you just spent four hundred thousand dollars on AWS. Uh, and you didn't want to, and you can do that stuff as well, right? You can say okay. like, "Hey, this is you know." I mean, it, again, it all boils down to how you're do, what your auto scaling policies look like, and and what you're triggering off of, and what your rules are. Right, right. Like you have just, I mean, you, there's additional work there that has to be done, you know, with the typical system to actually get it to scale and for it to be elastic, right? So, okay, so I I almost have my answer. Go ahead. Yeah, I just see. I mean, in general, I mean, it's kind of run, walk, crawl, right? Um, and um, having like really good auto scaling policies in place um, kind of necessitates having the demand that would drive that, right? And so, like for us at Kelsis, there's you know we've quite a bit of our workloads just don't have that kind of demand mm-hmm. for an elastic workload, right? And so we don't necessarily have to wire up auto scale policies on our clusters um, for a lot right, of our right. particular our particular workloads. And so again, the same thing is going to be in the Fargate the Fargate world. Um, yeah, this so, is where I wanted to go. So I don't understand how that could be because I, you know, in my mind, it's like, well, with Fargate, you're not thinking about instances anymore. You're not thinking about individual computers. So how? What help me understand that mapping now inside Fargate? Mm-hmm. So there's 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 two different units of scaling here. So on the EC2 launch type, right? There's two things you can scale. One is you can scale the resources that you have in your cluster, mm-hmm. right? So all my containers are running in that cluster, and I need to be able to scale that the whatever the aggregate load is on that. Um, if it's not enough, and I need to scale, I I can I need to do that, right? And and, and likewise, I can scale down. So that's one dimension of auto scaling. Is on the cluster resources itself. Obviously, in Fargate, that doesn't apply, right? Because we're not managing the cluster. Okay. The other unit of scale is at the service level, right? So when you create a service in ECS, you're going to say, "This is how many occurrences of this task that I want running concurrently." Okay. Right. So I'm going to say, "Oh, I want two tasks, or I want three tasks," right? Okay. That's going to give you a certain amount of throughput and a certain amount, of, you know, of, of of load that you can handle. So you have no idea how many machines, well, actually, you know exactly how many machines they'll be running on. It's going to be one virtual machine per task, because we talked about that last episode, one micro VM per task. But you don't know if, how those are spread across physical machines. Um, it could be that there's more than one on a physical machine, or it could be that 
there's not like you, that's outside of your control in Fargate. Right. Yeah. I mean, in, in Fargate, you're just saying this is how many tasks I want running for this particular service. Just go and run them. And it's mm-hmm. you don't know and you, just, you actually don't care. Right. So right. the auto scaling part for far, so the, the other auto scaling is to do it at the service level where you're specifying, okay, again, what your policies are for your triggers. So now you're, what you're doing is you're manipulating the numbers on number of tasks and minimum number of tasks, minimum, minimum percent and maximum percent. Right. Right. And so you may be able to do some, like some imagining about how many actual computers are running your tasks just by knowing how many VPCs you've asked for and what type of computer they're likely using behind the scenes, but you don't actually control that. They are the ones, AWS is in the one, the one in control of computers. And you're just saying, Hey, this is like a hundred task service, or this is a thousand task mm-hmm. service. Right. Okay. Or which is, okay. Which so is what it is, which is what it is in with the EC2 launch type too, right? At the end of the day, like that's that's what you care about. Like I mean you're going to have like maybe you have like three services that you've rolled out to your ECS cluster. Mm-hmm. Two of them are like reports or admin type thing and then the other one is like this heavily used microservice and it's the heavily used microservice that's that's doing 500 requests a second in aggregate and the other two are only doing like 10 requests a second in aggregate, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you're just looking at like how do I auto scale my my microservice, um, and right. so and, and that's going to be by changing the number of tasks that I have for that. Cool. And then you give it some sort of policy for scaling up or down the number of tasks. Like mm-hmm. that's essentially the same. Okay, it's an auto scale policy, and it might be based on what is, what kinds of things can you base it on? Like CPU usage, memory usage. I think you know. I think the day the, the sky's the limit. There's there's a bunch of canned stuff. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you can do things like CPU. You can do things like memory. You can do you know custom metrics. I mean, it's going to be very particular to your to your application. Okay. Cool. And just what what defines busyness or just load for your application? So this was an important conversation for me because it helps me feel good about a couple points that I'm about to make. Um, one is that serverless purists I've noticed have have kind of said, eh, yeah, Fargate's not really serverless. And the reason is because you do have to have some awareness of this kind of this kind of like um you know DevOpsy kind of scaling that we that we just spent five, ten minutes talking about. You have to know and manage that yourself. And and the scaling policy is going to be based on something computer like memory or like CPU usage utilization or something, something that a serverless purist is going to be like, hey, don't make me think about that too much. And and that's why I brought exa- the example of Lambda before too, because you can't control this inside Lambda. Lambda is completely in control of this. And that's why serverless purists are so like, ah, oh, everything has to be Lambda. Um, so that that's one point I wanted to make. And then the other point I wanted to make is that I expect AWS to need to catch up with Google Cloud on this particular feature because GCP does have a container run system. I think it's called Cloud Run. And Cloud Run, you know, the idea behind it is to be fully serverless, to be like Fargate plus plus, where it's like, yeah, don't bother telling me how many tasks you want running, how how much your min and max is. Just put your container here and we'll take care of the rest. You just show us the image and we've got it from there. And there may be some limitations about the types of images you can use or like some ways of like managing your spend and stuff, but but the idea is is supposed to be a little less configuration management than Fargate is forcing people to do, and I expect that AWS is going to want to have an answer for that. At the end of the day, I mean, we talked. I mean, 
like I said, we just we just spent I stumped you. you know, fifteen <laughs> minutes, you know, going through just okay, what is it, you know, what is the auto scaling and you know, how does it work and the what are like, oh, there's these different dimensions of it and mm-hmm. how does that work, right? And it's not straightforward and simple and easy necessarily, right? Right, exactly. But yeah, I mean there's there's gonna be continued work in this space just to to make things mm-hmm. easier and like there have been advances here by by AWS to start leveraging machine learning to auto scaling and to kind of do some of that stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for you as well. So, you know, going forward, absolutely. I would imagine the same thing's going to happen with, with Fargate and, and everything else. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, like AWS, they want to make this um, as easy as possible for, for folks to just get up and running and using, right. Cause as soon as you're, once you've got your workload running, then now you're actually paying AWS for those services. Cool. Yeah. So should we get started on this week's episode of MoneyCast? <laughs> yeah, I think that would be good. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how far we get. Um, but ho- hopefully this, I, I mean, I think this is still good stuff, even though we, we've, we've, we've uh, diverged a little bit and taken a little bit of a, a sidetrack here at Detour, but it's, it's good stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, so let's get on with the show, if you will. So again, we want to now walk through the steps of what does it take to, to migrate a container from the EC2 launch type to the Fargate launch type. But before we do that, kind of want to dive into two big topics of ECS that perhaps you know aren't as well understood um, or you know they're just partially um, known. And so try to go into there and, and just fill in some of those gaps and, and to kind of really flesh out uh, the understanding of, of these two topics. And so those topics are identity and access management for ECS. Oh, I love that. So we have lots of, lots of IAM roles that are necessary to make all this stuff work. So it's kind of important just to know like, okay, what, what are those roles and why do we need them and which one should I care about? And then another topic area I want to cover is just container networking. And this is like another big one that, you know, a lot of people I think will just kind of gloss over. They'll just go with the defaults because mm-hmm. it, because it, it usually, I mean, like, 97% of the time it works just with the defaults, but just to kind of do, peel that back a bit more and kind of understand like, well, what, you know, how does container networking work? What are the various types that you can choose from? What are the benefits? What are the limitations? And then once we do that, then we can go and actually now let's walk through the steps of migrating our container from, from EC2 to Fargate, because part of that work is going to understand roles and container networking pretty well. Cool. Yeah. And if we can save, you know, 10 people, 10 hours on IAM role troubleshooting, there's no, there's no end to the amount of like <laughs> carbon footprint we'll have reduced with this one episode of MobiCast. So let's go. <laughs> Identity and access management. Let's do it. Yes. Um, so yes, yeah, so in the way I, I kind of look at this, so there, there are a bunch of IAM roles that are either required or you may come across, you may, you may need to, to use for, for running ECS. And so I kind of look at it as breaking out into to, to kind of like primary roles and then kind of secondary roles. Okay. With the primary roles being ones that, hey, these ones you really should know and be aware of. These are the most likely ones that you're going to be using. Um, and then the secondary roles will be the ones with like, you know, if you need this feature, then you may need it. So with that, let's talk about some of the primary roles here. Um, so the first is the the ECS container instance IAM role. This is especially um, when running with the EC2 launch type. 
this is you know kind of like the backbone. So this is the IAM role that's assigned to your cluster instance machines, and so that is basically the, um, it's used by the ECS agent. So on every one of these these machines in our cluster, we have the ECS agent, which is a piece of code that's running. On, on on each one of those machines, it's actually running inside a Docker as a container, uh-huh. and it's going to be making um, API calls, AWS API calls, right? To you know, it's talking to ECS, it's talking to to perhaps other services as well. So it needs credentials to do that, uh-huh. and so the, the the way it gets those credentials is through the container instance IAM role. So that's the ECS instance role um, that will that we'll see pop up in IAM. So this is a, I'm sorry, just to make, this is going to be hopefully a very short sidetrack, but AWS roles are sort of prepackaged lists of policies that you can add to your own policy that you're going to use, or right? Like you're talking about the, the ECS instance role and I'm thinking, oh, that's got a policy um, and I can add that role to something. And that's like a, like the role has got a list of things that it's allowed to do. Um, and I can add it, I can add the role to like, I can add it to, and I, I, I don't know, like I'm actually getting a little confused here because ah, it's been a couple months since I've worked on this, but essentially um, tell me that the, the roles are, list, they have a policy that, that is a list of stuff that they're allowed to do or, and they're like predefined by AWS and I could make my own policy that had the same, you know, I could make my own role that had the same policies and it could accomplish the same thing and I could use that one instead or do I have it backwards? So I am identity and access management. There's yep. different ways of categorizing principles. Mm-hmm. And so users is one way, right? So if you, yep, you actually yep. create a user account, right? That belongs to someone. Right, right, right. Yep. John, John's account or Chris's account, right? That's a user account. Yep. And then I have, I can have policies. I am policies attached to my role to give me permissions um, on what it is that I can, what I can do, right? Mm-hmm. Roles are basically the same thing, but they're for, you know, for services or machines, if you will, like for non-people, right, yeah, yeah, non-users. Right. So yeah. you're not, you don't, you're not creating an, an actual AWS account for it. Mm-hmm. It is specifying this is a principle. You know, this is identifying something, and that's just called a role, right? Okay. So that's why we're talking about IAM roles now, is because these are. It's basically again identifying a principle, but these principles are services, right? So it's the ECS agent. It's the ECS service itself, it's ECR, it's, you know, whatever, it's REC2, right? So those are roles. And so for both of those, again, you're going to define an IAM policy, and the policy is going to define what it is that you can or cannot do. Uh-huh. And then you can attach one or more of those policies to users or to roles. Right. So in, the, so in this case, this ECS instance role, I guess you just said that you're going to Put that on the. It's going to be a role that the cluster needs to have. Is that something that ECS takes care of putting on the cluster? Where do you def, where do you basically say give it this role? And is this role already defined, or is it something that you have to define? So the ECS instance role is going to be something that will be automatically created for you by ECS when you kind of go through the first time. If it doesn't exist, okay. right? So and it's going to be done when you're creating a cluster, okay? And you're choosing the EC2 launch type, right? Okay. So it's going to ask you what role do you want your cluster instances to use, and by default, it's going to be the ECS instance role that it can go ahead and create, right? But at the end of the day, what this this ends up being the role that's assigned to the actual EC two 
in the the launch configuration mm-hmm. for for your cluster. So yeah, and just to pause here and take a breath for a second, this is the first time we've had to try you know try to have a real conversation about IAM roles and MobiCast, and obviously like IAM and IAM is like the Achilles heel of AWS, and it's like the hardest little nut to crack for a lot of people as they start with AWS. Chris and I, you and I, just literally tripped all over ourselves trying to talk about it. Me in particular. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll try to keep this going, but. I think I am in a in a podcast setting maybe the most dangerous thing we've ever tried to talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if if we try to get into the nuts and bolts of it for sure, um, but I, we'll we'll try to keep it again at the kind of like the con the concept level. So users, you you can you can you have roles, and that's ways of identifying principles. You can group these things together with groups, um, so you can have a, mm-hmm. a bunch of users that can belong to a group, and that's another way of, of, of applying policy. And then you, you have the IAM policies themselves that kind of define either what you can do or what you cannot do, and you can mm-hmm. what resources you can interact with, what what services you can interact with, and, and whatnot. There are canned um, po- managed policies um, that AWS provides that helps you create these things. That's what it was that tripped me. For each one of the services, you'll see service policies. That the, again, these are managed by AWS. So if you want to go create a role that's being used by, you know, like EC2 um, or, or it's going to be run on EC2 or it's, it's ECS, then when you go create one of these roles, that will be you know you'll be able to drill down into those options and, and pick that and it's it's basically going to define a trust relationship that allows that particular service to assume a role through the security token service, <laughs> which I, it's kind of hard for me to even it it, it is yeah. it is confusing right I mean there's a lot here um, to to deal with. Well, I just figured out, Chris, what what I tripped over, and I think I think at least if if anybody thinks like I do, then maybe I can un- unwind what I was just tripped up over. So here it is. It's that the policies you were just talking about, there are canned ones, and policies are what decide what you can and can't do inside AWS. They're, they're the things like you can run a Lambda or you can, you know, you can access this S3 bucket or you can write to it or read from it or like they're very specific and they're, they're very, very granular. Um, but there's the canned ones and the canned policies, uh, they have lists of things that you can do. Um, so they might include several things that you can do, and then you can say for what resource. Like then you get, get to specify for what resources they apply to. So if it's a S3 bucket, you can actually list the ARN of the S3 bucket that it applies to. Or if it's a EC2 container instance, then I'm imagining you can probably you know supply some ARN of that container instance. But um, where I got tripped up is that those are the things that are canned and that decide what you can and can't do. And if you're going to use the can or that have the option of being canned and you can, you can like group them together and put them into a role. So you could say, Oh, I want administrator access policy and I want, you know, S3 super user policy and I want all these different canned policies, but there's some limit to them. And I recently ran into the limit and it was like 11 of them. And then once you got more than 11, then it was like, Nope, you can't, you can't do any more than that. So then, in order to do more than that, I had to write a custom policy to include the policy, you know, the more in line item policies of a couple of the other pol- can policies that I was using, and that was unbelievably annoying to me. And that is where I got a little tripped up. And here's why I got tripped up on it: 
because you are just naming these roles like ECS container instance role as a primary role, ECS service scheduler role as a primary, IAM role as a primary role. You're talking about these roles and just by the fact that the roles have names like ECS container instance IAM role, my mind went directly, and I think a lot of listeners and a lot of people that use AWS, their minds might go directly to assuming that this role includes specific things you can and can't do. And that is where I got tripped up because that is where I started confusing a role and a policy. The role is just, like you said, it's, a pro, it's like a way of identifying something, a user or a service. Like It's a way of saying this thing can do this. But it's the policies that, that say what it can actually do. And so the word ECS container instance IAM role does not mean, I, th- I don't think, it does not mean it can do something specific with ECS. It just means it can do whatever policies you put in that role. And that, that role is going to live on a container instance, right? Like the role is just a bag of policies. Yeah, I mean, these particular role names are very they are particular, right? Because this is actually what ECS is expecting, right? It's it's coded to, it's hard coded to like, knowing like, hey, this is the role that I'm going to use for this particular piece of code, right? Okay. And so it's expecting that particular role to be there. It will create the roles for you. Again, for some of these, it's going to create the roles for you as a, just a convenience function. And it will uh-huh. make sure that the policies exist as well and apply those policies to that role so that it's all set up, right? The way that you need it to be. So Mm-hmm. Like again, for just the the simple case of like I'm going in, I click create cluster. It's EC2 launch type. ECS is going to automatically make sure that the policy exists and the ECS instance role exists, such that when you bring up one of these cluster machines, the ECS agent can make its the appropriate. It has the credentials mm-hmm. to make the calls that it needs to do, right? And you don't really have to do anything. It's just going to all get set up for you, right? Because it's right. It's a well known space right there. So. But we're, so if it's going to go make an API request to do something on a container instance, it's like, oh, whenever I do this, I got to do it as a role. So let me go grab my role that's called ECS container instance IAM role. Okay, now I'm going to do it as this role and bah, crap, ECS container IAM instance role does not contain policy and then whatever policy it needed to have to do the thing it was trying to do. That's going to be the error that you're troubleshooting if, if it doesn't, if you forgot to include the policy that you need. Like that's the most common type of error that people run into. Like, I'm doing this thing as this role, and I don't have and my list of my bag of policies doesn't let me do the thing I'm trying to do. Yeah, and and so maybe there's a good time to kind of just talk about like so, like a, a de- again a, a default way of setting up ECS would be you know you you don't really create any additional IAM roles yourself. Um, so mm-hmm. your each one of your EC2s that are part of your cluster, they're going to be running. They're going to be running with this ECS instance role. It's going to mm-hmm. then automatically created for you by by ECS. And so mm-hmm. it can that's good. It's going to be with whatever privileges like the ECS agent needs in order to to operate. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's not going to have things like access to S3. Mm-hmm. So by default, again, if you don't do anything differently, the all the containers that you run on your cluster, they're going to actually be running underneath that role. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be using the ECS instance role. Yep. Right? And so now that's so if your container, if your, your application needs to go make an, um, an AWS API call to say like S3, yep. so it wants to do an S3 put, and it's using the ECS instance role, right? Now you're going to see in your code, sorry, you don't have privileges to do this. Right. So what do you do? <laughs> you go to the ECS instance role, and I am, and now you update it to give it access now to you. You apply the 
S3 read-only policy to it. Right, and you better hope it's not the 12th policy you need to add to that role. <laughs> yeah, right. But as we're going to find out, like you shouldn't be using the ECS instance role anyhow for your containers. Okay. <laughs> oh, and, and, and we'll get into that um, a bit more. But maybe... Um, for the this, I, I hopefully like. I mean, I imagine you sitting there in your car, going, "My God, these guys!" But hopefully, like my me going from absolutely tripping over myself, like trying to talk about AIM to like, I, I imagine it sounds like I get it now because I do. I really do understand this. Like, just needed to kind of go through that process of imagining, you know, setting this up and and running into the type of problem that you always run into, and just remembering the difference between a role and a policy. Um, those two things, like you keep them separate in your head, and all, the whole system makes more sense. Indeed, yes. Sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to ask you a favor. Would you mind contributing to our boat fund? It's that we've always wanted a boat, and we need money from you in order to get one. But seriously, it takes quite a bit of time and effort to produce MobyCast every week, and we do have some small sponsors, but nothing really speaks to us like getting support from our actual listeners. So if you wouldn't mind, go to glow.fm slash mobicast real quick, and it only takes 30 seconds, and just contribute. Um, you can subscribe for $5 a month or $10 a month or whatever uh, floats your boat, or hopefully soon to be our boat. Anyway... If you give us five bucks a month, we'll send you a sticker. And if you give us 10 bucks a month, we'll send you a t shirt. So, looking forward to seeing those subscriptions cruise on in. And now back to the show. So, um, moving on. Um, so, that's, so, that was the first primary role, right? So, the ECS mm-hmm. container instance IAM role. Um, another one pretty important is the ECS service scheduler IAM role. And so, this one is, it's, ECS service role, right? And so this is the this is the role. It's used by the ECS service scheduler to make calls to EC2 and to the ELBs APIs on your behalf. And so this is really for registering and deregistering your container instances with load balancers. Okay. So if you're if you're creating a service in ECS and it's it's using load balancers, right? Like this service, this this role has to be there. And again, it's going to get created for you by ECS. Mm-hmm. When you do some operation where it needs it, as you're like creating a, a service inside ECS, it's just going to be there. So just something just to be aware of. Like you, you will see this um, when you create a service or when you're updating a service in ECS. It'll ask you what what the service role should be, and by default, this is what it's going to be using. You can override that, right? You can go create another role if you wanted to have different access permissions or or whatnot. Um, but just realize that what that code is doing, right? Again, it's, it's, there's some other specific piece of code, this service scheduler code, and it needs to go make API calls to talk to ELBs to say, Hey, ELB, I'm changing your membership set. I need to add this into your, into your membership set. So I need to make that API call. ELB is like, who are you? And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm ECS service scheduler role. Yes. A third primary role would be the, the ECS task execution. I am role. And so this is, you know, the name for this one is ECS task execution role. And so what this is, is the role used by your task. It's actually used by the ECS agent to make API calls on your behalf of a task. Typical use cases for this would be 
if you're pulling images from a private registry and need okay. need to make certain calls for that, or um, if you're re- referencing maybe like sensitive data in your task definition files, like to go talk to Secrets Manager or Parameter Store, right? So those are other API calls. And so that's only, and it only applies to the task, right? Like it's the task that's doing that operation. So that's why this is the task execution role. And so it's separate from these other ones, right? Because it's at a different level of, of granularity. With the EC2 launch type, we don't typically kind of like think about this, this role too much um, because usually the ECS instance role is, is filling in for this. But when you're running on Fargate, there is no ECS instance role. Okay. Right. Cause you're, cause you don't have an ECS instance. You don't have a, you know, an actual EC2 instance that you're running on. It's, it's, it's on a Fargate instance. Um, so, so you need to specify the task. Ex- you have to use, use this task execution role in that case for Fargate. So that's, and you're going to need that for doing things like pulling a container image from ECR um, or pushing logs to CloudWatch. Um, those are all. Yeah, again, I was gonna, like the example we gave before was uh, talking to S3. So if you're going to talk to S3, you need to add that. You need to add those policies into the task execution role. No, that would be that's going to be different. Um, so okay. this is this is um, this is outside of your your code itself, right? But it's related to the task and operations that the task has to do. So that's why it's again, it's like. Part of the like, so part of the task lifecycle, you know, in order to to initiate it, it needs an image, and so it's got to go pull an image from somewhere, mm-hmm. and that requires this API call, right, to do it, right? So yeah, I think we we left last week. We left the difference between tasks and containers that are inside of tasks like a little fuzzy, and so this again is like, ooh, that's in that little like fuzzy area that I kind of stepped in last week, and I'm mm-hmm. nervous to talk about it this week too. For now, for this discussion, we can just say task equals container because um, we're uh-huh. we don't need to worry about the the nuance that tasks are really a collection of one to n containers. Mm-hmm. But and again, in typical cases, there's only one container per task, and so whenever I meant whenever I'm saying task or container right now, they're interchangeable. Okay, except you just except that they're not because. The running container is not using the task execution role to do the work that it's doing. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so maybe to, to clarify that, by that I mean it's it's the you think of it like the task manager. Okay. Whatever credentials the task manager needs in order to instantiate that task and deal with both input and output. Okay. Right. In, again, an example would be CloudWatch integration. So you you want to use like the AWS logs driver with your task, which essentially just means whatever goes to standard out that gets captured, and then it has to get shuttled over to CloudWatch. So your task itself doesn't know anything at all about CloudWatch. It doesn't have to make any CloudWatch calls whatsoever, mm-hmm. right? That really helps. It's up to the it's actually the ECS agent. It's something else outside of your application code, right? That's saying, oh, I'm going to go trap. I'm trapping standard out, sta- standard error. And now when I have that, I'm now going to make these calls to CloudWatch on behalf of this task, essentially, to go put that data over there. And again, you know, likewise with ECR, like I'm, this task needs to start up. Well, I have to go get its code, right? Mm-hmm. I need permissions to do that. The, the, the container is not even running yet. Right, but it's still that's right. a task based. Um, it, it's at the task level, right? Um, it's just granularity wise. And that's so it's so funny because all you have to say is it's like the task manager or task management execution role, and it's like, I God, I hope you're listening, AWS DevRels, because naming matters. 
it really matters. And all you have to do is add that word, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I get it. It's not the same as a task. It's not the task. Ah, naming matters. Everybody, 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 naming matters. All right, so homework for you, John. You can submit the pull request to Amazon for the yeah. name change. It's <laughs> not open source. <laughs> uh, all right, so those are the those are the three primary roles I wanted to talk about. Um, there's some secondary roles, and we'll kind of um, go through these um, pretty quickly. Um, but they're they're related to some of the other features and integration points that you can have with ECS, and so they're 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 all related around things like auto scaling and um, CloudWatch events and code deploy. So ECS, hmm. um, you know, you can um, if you configure auto scaling for your actual ECS service, which we touched on, you know, earlier in this episode. Yep. Then it's going to be making calls to manage that scaling for you. So it needs a role to do that, and so that's the ECS auto scale role. Um, so you'll see that again, it'll be automatically created for you if you enable uh, application auto scaling for your ECS service, and it'll by default has all the permissions that it needs in order to do those kinds of operations. The CloudWatch events IAM role, that's the ECS events role. So if you ever, um, if you if you want to run a scheduled task in ECS, um, this role will have to be created, and again going to be done by default for you as a convenience. I, which direction is this going? Is this saying CloudWatch is going to kick off something in ECS or is this saying something inside your ECS stuff is going to kick off something in CloudWatch? Um, so what happens is this ends up ECS creates a CloudWatch events rule and then you define the policy of how often this thing fires and then when it fires it's now executing an ECS job. Right? So this policy is giving CloudWatch permissions to run ECS tasks on your behalf. Okay. And it's cool. also giving ECS permissions to create the CloudWatch events as well. Okay. Um, and then, uh, then the, the last one to talk about would just be the, the code deploy IAM role. And so this is if you choose to do the blue-green deployments option with ECS, which underneath the covers, it's powered by code deploy. Um, so it needs access to make calls to, to code deploy on your behalf. And so that role will, will be necessary as well. So again, it's, it's ECS calling APIs of code deploy under this role? Yeah, it's, it's whatever is needed to make that happen, right? So there, it's usually two sides to it. Like we talked about with the, with the ECS events role, it's one, the CloudWatch event that actually has to be created using the CloudWatch API and then it's also the permissions to CloudWatch to execute the ECS task on your behalf. So there's trust relationships involved here so that, again, using security token service, these services can assume roles to go do these things. And so it's just that for each one of these, it just depends on what it... <laughs> I'm not going to let this go, man. Like, <laughs> like something that is code has got to assume a role and then go make some calls saying, hey, I'm this role. And I guess what you're telling me is that in the case of CloudWatch events and code deploy, that some code in the code deploy service is going to assume this role and call some code and call some APIs in ECS, and some code in ECS is going to assume this role and call some APIs in code deploy. It's going both directions, and you're saying the same is true for CloudWatch, right? Okay, yeah. So, and what it's doing, right, is it's just it just needs to have that role, and the by giving it the trust relationship, it allows it to temporarily assume the role so it can change its identity the code that's that needs to do this right it can change its identity temporarily to go make these calls that it's done in the right context mm -hmm. and so you know 
again, it's the yeah, it goes assume role, and then it's going to go grab the role it's going to assume, and then it's going to make the API calls that, and the API calls are going to be like, hey, what's your role? And then it's going to be like, here, here's my role, and here's all the policies inside of it, and, the, and then the APIs are going to be like, cool, come on in mm-hmm. or not, and that's the easiest way to think about it. I'm some code. I'm going to assume a role. I'm going to get like asked what my role is, and the role is going to get handed over with all of its all of its policies. And then those policies are going to get checked. And that's it. That's it, 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 it. And so when I'm like, which direction does it go? It's because I'm trying to imagine in my mind which service is doing the role, the role assumption and doing the API calling. And what I heard back was a little confusing to me because I was like, wait, is it both services assuming the same role? And I guess the answer is maybe yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. It just depends on, again, the situation. So like the CloudWatch events, the scheduled task is pretty easy, easy to, to think about because it's two main things have to happen, right? One, the CloudWatch events rule has to be created, right? So now a CloudWatch mm-hmm. API has to be invoked to create that rule. Someone is doing that. That's ECS. So ECS needs to be able to make that API call to CloudWatch mm-hmm. on behalf of you, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the other aspect to it is now when that event rule, when that fires, um, it's now going to go make an ECS call to run a task. And so now it's making an ECS API call. And from club, but it's the CloudWatch service that's making that call, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's doing the role assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. I get it. Good. Yes, I get it. <laughs> All right. So now uh, moving on, um, a really uh, kind of important to kind of wrap up this whole I am discussion. A really important point is so the principle of of least privilege is pretty pretty good thing, right? Like for having a, a good security posture. As I kind of alluded to previously, the ECS instance role, like by default, that's what your task, that's the role that they're going to use, right? To go do their, whatever access they need. So you may have, you know, f- say five different services running on your your cluster, your ECS cluster. And each one of those things are doing, you know, different things. Maybe some of them are making calls to Kinesis and some are talking to S3 and some are talking to SQS and SNS. Maybe others are talking to, um, you know, I don't know, Lambda um, or maybe some like tra- transcribe or something like that. Right. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. And so they, they all have to, you know, need credentials to do that again by default, you know, maybe they're all going to be, you're, you set them up so that they're going to be using that ECS instance role. So that means that that ECS instance role needs to have the superset of permissions that all your containers need, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that, yeah, all your containers can do what they need to do, but it also means they're overprivileged, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. now you're, maybe your simple little app that all they need to do is go read a, a particular key from an S3 bucket. Now it can go do all this other stuff, right? It can go hit kinesis and it can go talk to cloudwatch and it can do transcribe grab calls. some secrets yeah, yeah. It, could, it could it has access to a K, you know kms or whatnot right so we really should be thinking about doing permissions and identity and access management at the task level yes ecs allows you to do this it's im roles for ecs task or it's task-based im roles um, but really what it is is inside your when you're defining a task in the task definition you can specify this role that it should be used as the task role. Okay. So that's a that's a parameter in your task definition. So really what you want to do is you want to go and create a role for each one of your services that has the minimal amount of permissions that that service needs. Mm-hmm. And so don't share 
mm-hmm. amongst your amongst your containers, really, um, in your services, have it on a per service basis, and that way you're it's it's locked down, and you've, you're not you're not over provisioning what kind of privileges your your services do have. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, and that's really straightforward. It makes sense to do like I can imagine doing that inside the console. I can imagine doing it inside of like a cloud formation, like that's, that's the one role that makes a ton of sense and is easy. It's all the other roles that are so hard to get your head around. Like, wait, you need a thing that can talk to ECR. Like, ah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Right. Like all those are the hard ones. It's the thing that, that your actual business logic needs those things that your business logic needs access to. That's the one that's easy. Mm -hmm. The good news here is that all those other roles we talked about for the most part, they're going to be created for you and managed mm-hmm. for you. Um, and it's only if you need to like tweak them, would you actually have to go and do anything with them? Right. But it's good to be aware of them and, and just know that they're there and why they're needed. Right. Cause it looks like just detritus, right? Like it's sort of the like entropy of using AWS. Like, Oh yeah, I was messing around with ECS and now look, I've got seven new roles in here for some reason. I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and this is you know so so now we we should have a good understanding of of, of why that is there. But yeah, task based IAM roles pretty straightforward and easy to understand. And we don't want to use a common one that's used shared across all of our services. Instead, we want to create it on a per service basis. Really easy to do. You know, we first create an IAM policy that's again specifying the minimal permissions that we need for that particular service. After that, we can create an IAM role for that particular task, and we attach that IAM policy to that role. With that particular role, we're going to be creating it based upon the ECS task role service role that's provided by AWS, right? So again, that's the, you, when you go and create a role, you're going to get a choice of, you know, is this a service role or is it a custom role or whatnot? So when you click service role, you'll see a list of all the different services, um, you know, that AWS offers so we're going to drill down to the Elastic Container Service, and there you'll see about four or five different specific roles. One of those is going to be the task role, right? So we're going to pick that um, and then attach our IAM policy to it, and that's about it. And now we can specify that in our task definition file. And this applies to both to both launch types, right? Whether we're running on EC2 or we're running on Fargate, we can use this. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So did you imagine that we'd spend 50 minutes talking about IAM today? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get started on the episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let, let's get started. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first important thing we want to talk about was identity and access management for ECS. The next thing is to talk about networking, container networking. Because this is, again, going to be another one of those important things to specify when we're creating our task, especially now in the Fargate launch type. So with... But Chris... Mm-hmm. I don't think we can do it. Like honestly, I, I I'm gonna have too many questions about container networking to be able to blaze through this in five minutes. Like I, I'm not sure. What do you think, listeners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, we could probably talk about this in five or ten minutes. But I said it's interesting enough where that probably would not do it justice. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of because there's definitely some more squishy stuff in here for me. Um, and I think it's that squishy stuff when you make it solid for me. That's I don't know. That's why I do this. Like that's why we we do Mobicast is because it's so fun to to get from that like uh, I'm not sure to oh yeah I get it. So I want to do that with networking and not just be like oh yeah Chris said a lot of hard words really fast and I let him go without stopping him. 
All right, fair enough. So this is part one. Um, yeah. So next next week we'll pick it up with container networking and and dive into all the the various different types of contain of, of of networking modes that AWS supports that uh, ECS supports. Cool. Um, and really kind of understand like what's the difference between bridge versus AWS VPC, which is really the kind of the the two big ones that we need to understand. Where Fargate requires the AWS VPC versus usually when we're running on the EC2 launch type, we're using Bridge, but just kind of understanding the differences between those. Cool. And then after that, then we can actually get to the process. Okay, like what are the nuts and bolts now of, of migrating from the EC2 launch type to the Fargate launch type? What are the changes we need to make? <laughs> right. So we'll get there. We'll get there. Guess who's not going to talk about the weather next week? <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Unless Chris. Unless it's a blizzard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks so yeah. much, Chris. This was All really right. fantastic. All right, great. Thanks, John. Talk to you next week. Bye. See ya. podcast outros why are you still here oh that's right it's the outro song come talk to us at mobicast.fm or on reddit at r slash mobicast <laughs>